We're reading this morning from uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, through to chapter 2, verse 4. So that's Hebrews 1, starting at verse 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be to him a father and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. And you, Lord, laid the foundation of the earth in the beginning, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. Like a robe, you will roll them up. Like a garment, they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. And to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits set out to serve for the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, How shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Thank you, Amy. It's been great having Amy training alongside Adam and Will as one of our new leaders in training. Um, as well as our seven maps. It's a kind of exciting Sunday um, for all of that going on. But actually, an even bigger reason to be excited this Sunday is it's the start of our new motto series in Chalmers. A motto series is, as Jay was saying earlier, where we both look at something on Sunday mornings and across our small groups. And it will be all our small groups. So um, undergraduate students and postgraduate young workers, home groups across the church family will all be looking at Hebrews um, for this year. Why do we do that? Well, one of our fundamental convictions at Chalmers is that this church is led, not by me or the other ministers up front, not even by the elders primarily, but by the Lord Jesus Christ, with the rest of us as under-shepherds under him. How does the Lord Jesus lead his church? Through his word. And so as together we look at the same bit of the Bible for a year, hopefully we'll all be led in the same direction by Jesus and able to chat about it together across all our generations. Our book is Hebrews, 
And so, as this is our first morning in Hebrews, I'm just going to do a few verses of the reading we had, just verses 1 to the middle of verse 3, and not too much this morning to get our heads around, but I will spend a few minutes first up trying to get us excited about Hebrews, just in case you're not. Um, But before I try that, let's pray for some help from the living God. Let's pray. Father, you know each of us. You know what's going on in our hearts and in our lives. And for some of us, that's a lot at the moment. And so we pray now you would still our hearts, open our ears, open the eyes of our hearts to see you more clearly, to love you more deeply, and so follow you more nearly. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm afraid it's officially autumn. There was an article on the BBC News about the trees knowing it was autumn. I don't know if you read that. Um, But it is autumn, at least up here in Scotland. The the blazing heat of the Costa del Scotland has gone. The children are back at school, finally. Um, (laughs) Chalmers is back to two morning services. Uh, Everything's kind of hotting up. The, The holidays are sadly pretty much over. Um, all the kind of serving and the rotors and in a, a small groups in the next couple of weeks are all going to begin uh, kick, kicking off. And it's all getting busy at home and work at, and school and um, church again. So I just want to ask you, as we start the year, how are you feeling about the coming year? Are you raring to go, refreshed, full of beans? Just, oh, let me at it. Here comes autumn. Or are you perhaps weary, clinging on? Wondering how after the summer holiday you can feel so tired. And it's a different kind of feeling, isn't it? There's weariness before summer, and you're like, oh, at least summer's coming. And then there's the weariness after summer, slightly harder. I guess there'll be a whole range of outlooks amongst us. Some will be really excited, because in a couple of months, God willing, we'll be back in the building up the road. All sorts of opportunities that will bring for the gospel. And can't, get, can't wait to get our teeth in. But actually, as I've chatted to people around church over the last few weeks, I have picked up with lots of us a sense of weariness, uh, sometimes physical or mental, kind of post-pandemic exhaustion or post-COVID brain fog that hasn't kind of fully gone after a summer break. For some of us, emotional weariness. Um, there's something, isn't there, about like three years of crisis mode, kind of the, the red lights or the amber lights flashing all the time, uh, Brexit to pandemic to war in Ukraine to energy crisis to cost of living crisis. Like, Living with that always in the background, I think, can make us weary. It's a lot to absorb emotionally. And some of us may be feeling spiritual weariness. Over the last 10 years of our existence, I'm aware we've not all been here for that time, but Chalmers has been through a lot. We left the Church of Scotland. We were nomadic on the road with all the setup and pack down. We bought a building with the cost that took. We planted a church with Redeemer. We refurbished a building. We've moved out to this temporary site. That's a lot. That's a lot going on in one decade for one church family. And actually, there's personal spiritual weariness as well, not just corporate. The hard work of serving Jesus in whatever capacity, of giving financially to gospel work when things are tight, of giving time to church and serving when things are busy, of standing up as a Christian in the workplace or the neighborhood reaching out with the good news at the school gates. I think it's possible that we could look ahead to the autumn and be a bit daunted. A kind of, oh, here we go again. 
Another round of sticking our necks out for the gospel. Can we really face that? Especially when it would be really easy just at the moment to kind of sit back and think, I'd rather take what the world has to offer. Thank you very much. Um, sort of the changes. During the, the lockdown, there wasn't really much alternatives out there, was there? They kind of, I could come to church in small group, or I could water my tomato plants again. Not much of a choice. But now, I mean, you can do anything. Flights are, are back up, kind of. Uh, friends are back in touch. Uh, shows are running. Fringe is buzzing. There's just loads to do out there now. So then, are we really going to keep diverting time and resources and energy to serving the gospel? Are we going to keep risking our personal reputations to build the church and stick with Jesus? Can we not just have a breather? Just have the easy life for a stretch. Just let down the sails and cruise for a bit. Well, the church that this book was written to were weary. They'd endured a lot in the past. Persecution, financial cost, reputational cost. They'd been a church that stood up for Jesus publicly and supported people who were doing that and suffering for it. But now they were getting weary. Just to see that, turn to chapter 10, um, verse 32. It's on page 1007 if you've got a church Bible. Always helps me if you turn there because you can check that I'm not making it up. Um, Chapter 10, verse 32. We'll just look at a couple of places to get a feel for the book before we come back to chapter 1. So chapter 10, verse 32. And this, in one paragraph, I think captures what the church has been through and how they're feeling. Just listen. 10, verse 32. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, that's become Christians, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since that you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. And listen to this. For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what's promised. You need to keep going. You need endurance to this weary church, the Hebrews church, to Chalmers church. We need to keep going. That is, keep going all the way to the end, because we're not home yet in the new creation, and to keep sticking with Jesus, close to him, serving with him, partnering with him and his people, even when we're weary of a culture that rejects him, perhaps weary of being the odd ones out at school or work, Weary at the looks and names that come our way if we stick with what the Bible teaches on sexual ethics or on the exclusivity of Jesus as the one way God's given to be saved. Hebrews says, don't give up. Keep going. Don't let down the sails. Don't drift from Jesus. What would drift have looked like for them in their context? Well, these are some Christians from a Jewish background. We'll pick that up as we go through the letter. There's loads of references to the Old Testament and to Jewish practices. And they were tempted to drift from Jesus back to the kind of Jewish temple worship. Why would they want to do that? Partly because that was kind of tangible, physical. You actually saw something being done 
for your sin each week as the, the sacrifice was made and the priest stood in front of you. Partly that. A bit like people today will find comfort and reassurance in religious practices, the five pillars of Islam. At least I'm doing something to get right with God. The Roman Catholic Mass. At least we're offering something each week. Even church institutions where uh, the Jesus of the Bible is, is kind of pushed to the side and lots of other stuff happens, whether it's candles and choirs or charity or singing. But actually, I don't think the main reason they were tempted to drift to Judaism was just because it was tangible and physical, visible. I think the main reason was it was easy. It would have been an easier life for them. See, at that time, historically, Judaism was recognized in the Roman Empire as an official religion and had a degree of protection. There was much less suspicion from the state. But Christianity, by, by this point, had now been recognized as something different to that, something a bit dodgy, a bit dangerous, something that needed to be stamped out or stamped down on. And that's true in, in many countries today, actually, including some that we have global mission partners in. You could stick with the real Jesus of the Bible, gather with that kind of church, and you'll endure cost and persecution, risk of reputation or worse. Or, box number two, you could go to the kind of government-sponsored church or the, the community-accepted form of religion. Still keep some trappings, kind of doing something for God, still doing something about sin, but has lost the heart of the gospel, Jesus Christ and his words. That was the temptation then, still a live temptation now. And actually, as Scotland gets more and more um, uh, opposed to the, the gospel in various ways in our culture, it's going to be a temptation we feel more and more, especially when we're weary. So that's the problem that this church was facing. What's the antidote? When you have that danger of shrinking back, of, of giving up, drifting away from costly biblical Jesus... What's the antidote? Well, here's the book of Hebrews in two words. Consider Jesus. Consider Jesus. Oh, I'm so glad we sang that song, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Great song, and, and chorus um, is great too. Um, consider Jesus is the basic kind of methodology of Hebrews. It's getting us to look at him, just actually look at what he, who he is, what he says, what he's done. Who are we actually dealing with here? Have a think about that. Just to show you that, one more place to turn before we get to chapter 1. Just turn to chapter 12, and I'll read from verse 1, just over the page. Chapter 12, verse 1. And we'll see exactly this pattern of them feeling weary and the encouragement to consider Jesus, to look to him. So 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that's set before us. As I'm saying, the Christian life, it's a marathon, not a sprint. You need endurance. How do you get endurance in the Christian life? Well, verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse 3, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Consider him. 
that's what we're doing this year for, for a year as a church in small groups and on Sundays. We're just going to have a good, long look at Jesus. That's great news, actually, if you're new to Christian things or looking into church. Well, this is the place to start. Have a look at Jesus. We as Christians think he's the most amazing person. He's the way to know God, to be right with God. And actually, whether we're new to Christian things or whether we've been going for a while, this book says, consider him. That's the way for the long-distance Christian life, not just the way in. The way Hebrews is going to help us to consider Jesus is going to help us see how he fits in the, the history of what God's been doing and saying, how he fits in the big flow of the Bible. And if you wanted a bit more detail, more than two words for Hebrews, if we go up to four words for Hebrews, here it is, consider Jesus, he's greater or he's better. You can choose your own. Uh, consider Jesus, he's greater. Greater than the way we currently think about him, probably in our hearts and minds. Greater than anything else the world could offer. Greater than everything in the Bible so far. Consider Jesus, he's better, he's greater. All of which brings us to Hebrews 1, verse 1. So please turn back there. We've just got a few verses to look at as we start this letter. And hopefully now it won't surprise us that the topic right from the start is Jesus. We're going to be having a look at him. And it hopefully won't surprise us that it's going to talk about Jesus' greatness. Consider Jesus, he's greater. You'll see on the back of the service sheet there's a handout with a kind of outline of where we're going. We've just got two points now. First one is this. God has spoken climactically in Jesus the Son. God has now spoken climactically in Jesus the Son. Uh, the first four verses of Hebrews is a kind of introduction. It's all one sentence, actually, originally. Um, and we're going to look at it in two weeks. We're doing um, verses one to three and halfway through three now. And next week, I'll come back and do the second half of three and four. And the point, right from the start, is about God's speech, his self-revelation. Let me just read again. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son. It's a big deal that God speaks. We were seeing some of our apprentices here um, who began this week. And one of our training sessions, we were thinking about how human beings come to know things. How do we know about the universe we live in? or about what human beings are, and whether we're of any value, or what the purpose is of human life, where we're going. Some big questions, aren't they? How do you know the answers? Well, in the attempt to get big answers, human beings take different approaches. There's the rational, logical argument kind of approach. The big brain will just reason it out. There's the intuitive, kind of subjective approach. I feel like this is right or wrong, or this is the truth, the big heart approach. There's the kind of empirical, repeatable observation approach, the scientist, the big eyes approach, just see what's there and keep testing it. Or there's the listening to others, relying on the opinions of others, maybe listening to an institution, the uh, big ears approach, you might say. The problem is, they don't all agree. We don't all agree on the bigger questions of life, where we come from, why we're here, where we're going. In fact, there are as many guesses about those questions as there are shows at the fringe. How do you choose? 
Well, Hebrews 1.1 says, God has spoken. Here we are, finite creatures, tiny really in terms of the time and the space we're, we're kind of stuck in with our blinkered perspective, tiny finite minds. We could never see the whole big picture, but God has spoken to us. Rather than starting from ourselves and working out, God has communicated loud and clear. It's a huge thing, actually, that God speaks and has spoken. But actually, the main thing Hebrews is doing, that's amazing, and it's a reason to to listen to the answers the Bible gives, but the main thing Hebrews is doing is contrasting the way God spoke in the past to how he's spoken now. Did you hear that? Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But now, in these last days, he's spoken to us by the Son. So that's referring, that first verse, to, to the Old Testament. And in the Old Testament, God revealed himself in loads of different media. He was multimedia. Visions, dreams, direct words, stone tablets, angelic visits, even a donkey once. God spoke in a variety of ways to different people, different times. But now, the contrast, he's spoken to us by the Son. That is to say, Jesus, the Son, is the climax of God's speech. If you want to know what God thinks or what God's like or what God says, look to Jesus, consider him, listen to him. It was all building up to him. He's the full stop at the end of the story. All the mysteries of the Old Testament are revealed in Jesus. All the promises of the Old Testament are fulfilled in Jesus. All the questions the Old Testament posed are answered in Jesus. He's the climax. Now the rest of the verses are going to give us a reason why he's so worth listening to. But just before we get to that and point two, I just want to notice what this is and isn't saying It's not saying you can just ditch the Old Testament. It's not saying you just throw that in the bin because that's slightly outmoded and not very useful. It definitely doesn't say, which lots of liberal theology would say today, that back in the day, humans had their best shot at understanding God and it got written down in the Bible. But now, Jesus is the real deal. He can tell us how it really is. Now look at the language. God spoke long ago through many means, many people, many times. And now God speaks in his son. Do you see the continuity? It's all his speech, Old Testament and new. God has always been speaking. But now it's climaxed in Jesus. Now, if you're not a Christian here and you're looking in, again, a great thing to do is just to look at Jesus, therefore. Whether come come through Hebrews with us, uh, you'll get a good look at him that way, or read one of the biographies of his life, one of the gospel accounts, And that would be a great thing to do, to to test out this claim. Actually, Hebrews is written to people who are Christians, but weary ones. And we need to take a good long look and a closer listen to Jesus. Let me just show the application that the book itself gives us. Look at chapter 2, verse 1. It's the reason why we had the long reading we had, even though we're just looking at three verses. Because chapter 2, verses 1 to 4 are the application of this amazing view of Jesus. 2 verse 1. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift away from it. God has spoken in Jesus, spoken climactically in Jesus. The rest of those verses say it was written down by the apostles, passed on to us by those who heard. So the Bible contains what Jesus said, 
we need to pay much closer attention to it. I think that's really helpful at the start of a year in Hebrews, because um, if, you're, if you're not already feeling it, we definitely will feel that as we go through Hebrews, some of it's quite hard work. Uh, it's quite a lot to get our heads around. It's rich. It's not the kind of fast food, just grab it quickly from the counter. It's more of a kind of rich meal. It takes a bit of chewing sometimes to work out what's going on as we see the Old Testament fulfilled in Jesus. So I think it's good for us to say at the start of an autumn term, let's take seriously what Jesus says here. Pay closer attention to what we've heard, lest we drift from it. Why is it worth listening to Jesus? Well, this is point two. And our last point, um, point two, this is why it's worth listening to the Son. Actually, in verses two to four, we're given seven truths about Jesus that are amazing. I've decided seven's too many for us, so we're just doing five this week, and we'll do two next week. Um, So here are the five we're going to cover just now. He's the heir. He's the creator. He's the radiance of God's glory. He's the imprint of God's nature, and he's sustaining the universe. Lots of good reasons to listen to him, each one of those. Let's just briefly go through them each, see what they mean. First off, Jesus, verse 2, has been appointed the heir of all things. Heir as in inheritance, inheritor. That is, he has the right to inherit the whole universe. God's appointed him to inherit the whole shebang. Every nation, every person, every planet, every star, everything is coming in his direction in the end. It all belongs to him, ultimately. Now, if we're not familiar with the Bible, that idea that a human being is going to inherit the nations might sound like a slightly strange idea. But long ago, God spoke to the prophets and said exactly that. For example, the book of Daniel says there'll be a son of man who inherits all the nations. Or Psalm 2 said there'll be a son of God who inherits the nations. And Psalm 2 is going to get quoted in verse 5. It's a big deal for Hebrews. Let me just read one verse from Psalm 2. We won't turn there. God the Father turns to this figure, this human figure, the Son, and says, Ask of me, and I'll make the nations your inheritance. Sorry, your inheritance. That is, you're going to own it all. Every nation. Just think about that. Big and small. Well-armed or not. Democratic or autocratic. West or East, rich or poor, all belongs to Jesus by rights. He's the heir, the heir of all things. Might be worth listening to him, taking his word seriously. One of the things I've, I've learned since living in Edinburgh, it's been five years now, I'm still learning, but one thing I've learned is that lots of people who used to live or study in St. Andrews find their way to Edinburgh, they seem to end up here. I don't know if it's magnetism or some kind of uh, like downhill, not really sure. <laughs> I'm gradually working my way around the ex St. Andrews alumni people, asking one question with a kind of hushed tone in my voice. So, did you ever meet him? Did you ever meet him? You know, him. As in Prince William, that's what I'm talking about. Um, like the heir, did you ever meet the heir to the throne? I've got another question lined up. So far, it's no hits. Uh, I think I'm asking the wrong generation. I often ask the maps, and I think they're too late. Um, But I can tell you what my next question would be if they ever say yes. 
What did he say? Did he speak to you? What did he say? Someone as important as that, I mean, it'd be quite nice to know. What did he say to you? Here's something that made me laugh. At the first service, I said all that, and then afterwards, someone a bit older came up and said, oh, I met him. I was at St. Andrew's then. <laughs> Sat next to him on a bench, and one time, he held a door open for me. I was like, oh, did he say anything? What did he say? She said, yeah, I remember it clearly. After you. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> all right. Okay, so Prince William, bit of an anticlimax. Um, both he's only the heir to kind of monarchy of one country uh, and in lots of ways symbolic ruler of this country. Uh, and the words were just after you. But Jesus Christ, heir of the entire cosmos, every nation, and the words he declared in chapter 2 verse 3 are the words of salvation. The king and heir has come to speak to us of salvation. It's worth paying much closer attention to his words. That's the first thing, heir. Second thing, creator. He's the creator. So Jesus' total supremacy over all things is not just based on what's going to happen at the end when he's awarded his inheritance. It's also what happened at the beginning. He has it by rights both ways round. Look at verse 2 again. Uh, God's spoken to us by the Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. Jesus, God the Son, co-created with the Father and the Spirit. That is, he is God. He was already existent before anything else was made, visible or invisible, tiny or massive. It was all made by him. Over the summer, we were in um, a Northumberland National Park for a couple of nights, and we were in the dark sky section. I was really excited. I grew up near Gatwick, so we didn't see any stars down south. And I thought, this is it. I'm going to see loads of stars. Um, turns out, in July, the sun stays up really late, so it wasn't actually that dark. Uh, it was disappointing. Um, but had we seen the stars, I mean, it's just mind-blowing, isn't it, the scale of the cosmos? Billions of stars and galaxies over trillions of light years. Now James Webb Telescope is up there, showing us further than we've ever seen, and showing us the infrared spectrum, which you can't even see with the visible eye. Extraordinary. And we're finding that in every department of science. Actually, the more we develop our instruments, the more we discover, whether we go smaller and smaller microscopically or bigger and bigger telescopically, we're just building things which show us more of what Jesus has made. Mind-blowing what's out there both at an atomic and a celestial level. Hebrews says God created it all through Jesus. We're used to picking up things these days, and you turn them over and look on the bottom, and it says made in China. That's the stamp often. You turn over a supernova made by Jesus, the sun. That's who we're dealing with. Maybe his voice is worth listening to. Over every other voice. Okay, he's the heir, he's the creator, uh, he's the end and the beginning of creation. Uh, but the, the huge truths don't stop there. The next two, C and D, he's, uh, they're both about kind of how, how good a revelation of God he actually is. Um, so radiance of God's glory and imprint, exact imprint of God's nature. That is to say, unlike any other prophet or, or um, teacher or religious person, God doesn't point away from himself to God, but is God himself communicating to us? 
the radiance of God's glory. God's glory is his, his goodness, his perfection. It's the display of all he is, all his goodness on show. And Jesus is the radiance of that. It just shines out of him. Take a look at him, you see God's glory walking around on earth. As John, one of Jesus' disciples, says at the start of his gospel, the word became flesh, this is Jesus, dwelt among us, and we've seen his glory. Glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. It's not just his raw power, it's his raw goodness. It's just so true. It's truth personified. It's goodness, grace, kindness, righteousness, holiness. That's his radiance of the glory and also the exact imprint of God's nature. I think this is helping us to see he really is God. The Father and the Son, they have a matching nature. He's as God as the Father. Not like, say, the Jehovah's Witnesses or others might say that he's the, kind of, he's the top creature. He's the first one made or he's a reflection of God's glory. No, he is God's nature. And if God himself is speaking... God the Son, the exact imprint of God's nature, you cannot upgrade on Jesus' voice. And then finally, just a final throwaway line to show us how powerful his words actually are. Just listen to this. Verse 3, radiance of the glory of God, exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. There's a thought. The only reason we're sitting here breathing successfully, sitting on chairs that feel solid, but really their atoms are being held together by the word of Jesus. His voice, his work, his ongoing sustaining work is what stops the universe from spinning out into a trillion atomic particles. It might be worth listening to that voice. Our time's basically up. I hope even those, those first few verses have helped us see what Hebrews is going to do for us. It's going to get us to consider Jesus. He's greater. He is better and bigger and greater. Greater than everything so far in the Bible. Greater than anything the world can offer. And greater than the picture of Jesus we carry around in our heads and our hearts. Amazing, isn't it? He's not just the heir at the end. He's the way God created the universe in the beginning, and he's the one sustaining it in the middle. Extraordinary. He's the perfect revelation of God. And so chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we've heard from him, lest we drift away from it. This first chapter, in lots of ways, gives us Hebrews in a nutshell. Consider Jesus. He's greater, so don't drift. Keep going, listening to him. And so I've put right at the bottom of the outline a question, which is great to reflect on personally or to chat about together. Um, the question is this, whose voice will have our attention this year? Lots of candidates, aren't there? Uh, there's just information crowding in, all the stuff we're, we're reading or studying or hearing in the news. There's, there's opinions and some very strongly held ideologies in our culture there's lots of advice from other people, friends, family, others. Easily that could squeeze out listening to the words of Jesus in Scripture. Just practically, it would be easy to let gathering together as church to hear Jesus address us 
or coming to a small group for the same reason, it would, it would be easy for that to drop down the priority list. So much else to do. You can always catch up on YouTube. Or it would be easy to, to come to stuff, but just to go through the motions. Kind of, oh yeah, I always go. But, but without hunger to really listen, to pay much closer attention to what we've heard. Actually, what's the people most on my heart as we, as we head into Hebrews are Christian people here who are feeling really weary spiritually. People who are feeling the cost of following Jesus and sticking to his words is getting too high, too tough, or it's been too long. The people who are tempted to look for an easier life. As elders, we met yesterday, and we were thinking about some of the Bible teaching that Hebrews and 2 Corinthians will be looking at this term, and we were discussing and praying for a number of situations and people on our hearts for whom life is particularly tough as a Christian. There are some whose life at home is really difficult because they're the one Christian. There are some who are living a celibate life as a single person because of what the Bible teaches about God's definition of marriage and the place of sex in it. Some have faced significant pressure at work or at uni for being a distinctive Christian, sticking to Jesus' actual words in the Bible. There are some who'd love to be married, but are restricting that possibility to someone who also loves Jesus, because Jesus comes first. Some are getting comments in their social circles for their Bible-based beliefs on ethical stuff. Some are just serving. They're just serving away with the best years of their lives, giving to the gospel in ways no one else really sees. For any of those people, and, and I'm sure there's others, it would be easy to get weary. Hard to endure, to keep going. It would be easy to drift to an easier form of religion, something that still does some stuff religiously to, to kind of say we're relating to God, we're doing something for our sin, contributing a bit, but has airbrushed the words of Jesus out, a place where the message is more acceptable in our culture. Hebrews says, don't drift, consider Jesus. He's greater. So let's pay even more careful attention to his voice. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this great book in your Bible. Thank you for um, the opportunity as a family to, to look at it over this coming year. And we pray very much you would help us to consider Jesus and his greatness. We pray for any of us who are finding it tough to keep going in the Christian walk, to run the race, to endure to the end. Please would you lift our hearts and our eyes to see the greatness of your Son, and for all of us, please help us to pay close attention to what he says. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.